You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. This is from the very beginning of my new novel, One Amazing Thing. When the first rumble came, no one in the visa office down in the basement of the Indian consulate, thought anything of it. Immersed in regret or hope or trepidation, as is usual for persons planning a major journey, they took it to be a passing cable car. Or perhaps the repair crew that had draped the pavement outside with neon orange netting, making entry into the building a feat that required significant gymnastic skill had resumed drilling. Uma Sinha watched a flake of plaster float from the ceiling in a lazy dance until it disappeared into the implausibly green foliage of the plant that stood at attention in the corner. She watched, but she didn't really see it, for she was mulling over a question that had troubled her for the last several weeks. Did her boyfriend Ramon who didn't know where she was right now, love her more than she loved him? And, should her suspicion that he did so prove correct, was that a good thing? Uma snapped shut her copy of Chaucer, which she had brought with her to compensate for the medieval lit class she was missing at the university. In the last few hours, she had managed to progress only a page and a half into The Wife of Bath's Tale, despite the fact that the body, cheerful wife was one of her favorite characters. Now she surrendered to reality. The lobby of the visa office, with all its comings and goings, its calling out of the names of individuals more fortunate than herself, was not a place suited to erudite endeavors. She surrendered with ill grace, It was a belief of hers that people ought to rise above the challenges of circumstance and glared at the woman stationed behind the glassed-in customer service window. The woman was dressed in a blue sari of an electrifying hue. Her hair was gathered into a tight bun at the nape of her neck and she wore a daunting red dot in the center of her forehead. She ignored Uma superbly as people do when faced with those whose abject destinies they control. Uma did not trust this woman. Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni was born in India, where she lived until 1976. When she left Calcutta and came to the United States, she received a master's degree from Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, and a Ph.D. from the University of California in Berkeley. She currently teaches in the Creative Writing Program at the University of Houston. She's the author of the short story collection, Arranged Marriage, and the novels, The Mistress of Spices, Sister of My Heart, The Queen of Dreams, and The Palace of Illusion. Her new novel is One Amazing Thing. Thank you for joining me, Chitra. My pleasure, absolutely. You know, it really struck me as you were reading the beginning of the novel how much our perceptions of these characters change over the course of the novel. It was such a great uh, uh, seismic shift in how well we come to know these people. Thank you. That was my hope. One of the themes of this novel is we are so quick to judge strangers. 
aren't we? Mm-hmm. And yet, <laughs> when we get to know them, when we learn their stories, because it's also my belief that through the stories people tell, when they're true stories, we really get to know who they are. We're often humbled by how quick we were to you know, create negative impressions, like Uma with the visa office worker whom she immediately dislikes and doesn't trust and has some reason for. But when she hears her story, things will become very different. Now, this is a, a kind of a, an interesting classic uh, format for, for a, a novel, a group of strangers trapped together telling stories. Could you talk about some of your earliest experiences just when you first started reading and hearing stories within stories and, and, and talk about how that influenced your interest in reading and in writing. Well, I think the earliest stories within stories I heard were back in India, where we have a classic text, goes back many thousands of years. It's called the Panchatantra, and it's a series of wise animal stories, so mm-hmm. stories told by animals about animals and their stories within stories. And that was a very traditional format, and I was very taken by these stories, through which we learned a lot of different things about these animal characters, but also about life. And then later, when I came here and I started studying Western literature, of course, I studied Chaucer, who was a great favorite. Mm -hmm. And I also read the Decameron, Mm -hmm. where people are trapped in this one room. They're trying to escape the plague and to pass the time they tell stories. And obviously there's a connection there because the characters in one amazing thing will also be trapped by an earthquake in this one room. And they're really facing catastrophe. They're facing a life-threatening situation. One of the things that I found really interesting about this novel was the interplay between the uh, container story, the the, earth, the people trapped together in an earthquake, and the kind of shimmering reflections between that and the stories people tell. Because we know when we're trapped in these situations like this, it changes our perceptions of ourselves, too. So these characters who are telling their stories are each re-experiencing their own lives, and I think in a very unique way. It's almost like I, I didn't, never, didn't think about it, but it's like, you know, seeing your life flash before your eyes. Thank you. That is what I was aiming for. I wanted both of those different worlds that collide almost in the novel to have each have its own urgency. And I think that is why the stories that these people decide to tell, for all they know, it's the last story they're ever going to tell. It's the one thing about themselves they can share. If they don't get rescued, this is going to be it. So I think those stories become filled with a certain kind of truth that in other situations we might not be willing to give to people around us. Let's talk a little bit about creating some of these characters um, because you do a really interesting job with the capturing the voice of each character. We, we, one of the, I have to admit that when I was reading this novel, I was pretty far into it, and I was really caught up in the earthquake narrative. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, 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 they're going to all stop and tell their stories. <laughs> so that's a really good trick on your part. You really got me caught up in the narrative just to, to, to get to the stories. 
Thank you. Well, what I hope for with my readers is that both stories will be really important. Mm -hmm. The stories that people are telling, that world that's being created, as well as this increasingly claustrophobic world in the basement of this visa office where things are getting bad, the water's rising, are they smelling gas, what's going to happen? I want to keep both of those worlds in focus so that every time you're torn from one world to another, you're you're kind of like, oh, now what's going to happen? So I'm glad to hear that that happened with you. Now, I, I have to ask, uh, were you, you've lived in Berkeley, so you must might have had some experience with earthquakes. Definitely. I've lived he, here in the Bay Area for almost 20 years, so you know, I experienced several <laughs> significant ones, including the one in 1989. Oh, really? Where yeah. were you during that earthquake? I was I was living in the East Bay, and I was working, you know, across the mm-hmm. bay, and that was just very scary oh, <laughs> because I, I, you remember those bridges started collapsing. Yeah, they were damaged. Was, yeah, that was some scary stuff. Now let's talk about creating the voices of each of these characters. These are some really interesting characters. And one of the things about that I like about your work because it comes out of India. In India, you guys, there's a real class system that's that's acknowledged. Whereas in America, the class system is not so much acknowledged. And you create an interesting tension between the, the way the characters perceive themselves when they're here and when they're in India and using the America as a kind of escape valve. Talk about uh, how some of that informs your the way you created these different voices. Well, for this novel particularly, I was trying to do some different things. Mm -hmm. As you know, much of my earlier work is really Mm India-centered, and just about all of my major characters in those books are Indian or or American of Indian origin. Mm -hmm. But here in this book, I think for the first time, I have major, major characters who Mm -hmm. are not Indian at all, but who have some kind of emotional or imaginative connection to India because they're all in this visa office because they want to go to India, mm-hmm. right? So I was, that required, you know, some work on my part to kind of get myself into the head of, for example, Cameron, who mm-hmm. is an African-American ex-soldier, or the couple that I had to really work on <clears throat> are Mr. and Mrs. Pritchett, who are you know, they're in their 70s, they're a white couple, mm-hmm. and I really had to think about how they would think about things. But going back to your question about the class system, I think the two people who really um, bring this alive are the two visa office workers who mm-hmm. have both come from India. One has come from, um, through marriage, an upper crust kind of background, and the other has come from a very working class background where she actually used to work in a salon, uh-huh. right? What so, a great place, the salon. <laughs> did you like that a... salon? I really ended up liking that salon a lot. Lola's lovely ladies salon. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to ask, did you go to a salon like that sometime? Oh, yes, I did a lot of research. And that's the great thing about being a writer. You can do all these things and people say, well, why are you doing this? And then you say, I'm researching my novel and then no one can question it. So yes, there's a little salon in the city of Calcutta mm-hmm. where I grew up just down the street from my mother. And I paid several visits and I would just watch the women and they would be 
be talking among themselves while they were doing my hair or my eyebrows, and I was taking like secret notes. Really, that's <laughs> now. Um, could you talk? One of the things that I think makes this book so interesting is the contrast between the actual prose styles. You strike up different prose styles for for each character. Although there's a kind of uh, I think almost an illuminating magic, as what I would describe it, that unites the book so it doesn't seem like a, a bunch of stuff just cut and pasted there's a it's nicely it's hangs together in a way that these things sometimes might not could you talk about just creating like you said mr pritchett has a has an alarming childhood and when we meet him it's just not at absolutely at all what we would expect and that was my hope because i wanted to show again as i said earlier that what we see of people at first glance may be so far from what their inner selves are or where their childhoods have been or what moves them, what ultimately has made them who they are today. And I think Mr. Pritchett was a real example because in his adult life, now that he's come into the visa office, he's very successful. He has his own accounting business. But when he tells his story, which, by the way, surprised me too when it came, you know, it's a very different childhood that he experienced. It's extremely different. So I think getting the voice was a big part of writing this book. And mm -hmm. I wrote and rewrote until I felt that the voices captured the characters. And this book is also very different from all of my other novels, because it's kind of an ensemble novel where mm -hmm. all the characters really are equally important. Right. And all their stories are equally important. And together they create a community. And one amazing thing is about the importance of creating community, especially under life-threatening circumstances. Well, that now that's really interesting. Uh, could you talk uh, about, um, as you created each voice, did you write the stories out separately? beforehand and then bring them into the main narrative? Or did you start at word one in the beginning and end with, and on the seventh day, she rested? <laughs> I, I began at the beginning and I went straight through because I found that when I don't do it that way, I have to go back and do a lot of rewriting mm -hmm. because you know, I, then I have to fit the beginning to the end. And I still have to. I still have to go back and rewrite, but maybe not as much. So I started in the beginning. And I had to. I started creating the voices when people were speaking to each other and just thinking their thoughts mm -hmm. in the beginning before any of them begin telling their stories. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I got to the stories, I knew kind of the kind of person they were to an extent. But when they started telling their stories, sometimes their voices changed. Like Mr. Pritchett's story, which is told in third person, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. partly because it's such a painful story that he can't almost, it's almost like he can't acknowledge that, that it's his story. He, it's more like he's telling, I'm telling you this story about this boy. Mm -hmm. But he never says that this is my story. The reader makes that connection and the rest of the group makes that connection, but he never says it. So I think the voices just developed as the book came along. Talk about creating the character of Tariq, who, who's a very interesting character, and where he comes from and what happens to him and his family. I, I, my son lives in Oakland. <laughs> So I have I I know exact 
kind of, I know some of those places where that I think he's talking. So could you talk about that, creating that in character? Well, Tariq, again, he was an important character for me to create. He's a young Muslim-American mm-hmm. uh, young man with, of Indian origin. And he has been having a wonderful life. You know, his family is well-established. His father has his own cleaning business that's doing really well. And then 9-11 strikes us, all of us, in our diff- in different ways and changes life for all of us, mm-hmm. but for some more than others. And Tariq's family begins to feel that uh, society is looking at them differently. And then one thing after another begins to go wrong with his family. So by the time we see him in the visa office, he's really an angry young man, and he doesn't know who to take that anger out on. So you know, it explodes in that situation of pressure that anger begins to explode. One of the things I thought was really nicely done in the novel, too, is what I would call kind of the layering of the religion and, and the, the way the each character's worldview, whether it be religiously informed, informed by religion, or just informed by their life or, or their kind of, you know, lackadaisical attitude, these kind of, there's a great interplay between these kind of different worldviews. And some some of the characters have, a, I think, an almost magical reality, live in a slightly more magical reality than others. And I, I love that kind of sensibility that, you know, things seem a little bit plastic. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right. I mean, those are all things that I was trying to do. So I'm so glad to see that, you know, <laughs> they worked for you. Um, yes. And also, I think there's something that happens when we are under great pressure mm-hmm. is our worldview, too, begins to change. And things that we never considered before mm-hmm. or never believed in, when we are faced with death, we're like, well, maybe this is true. As in the case of the Chinese grandmother, Jiang, and her uh, teenage granddaughter, who in the beginning is very rebellious and punky. and But by the end, she, she begins to wonder. She asks her grandmother, you said that there are spirits around us. Could there be the spirits of people who died in this earthquake? Could they be around us? And I hope I've managed to create a world where that is certainly a possibility. That's that's one of the things I, I, I really love about the novel, that, that it points out that what's out there matters, but also how we see what's out there matters almost more. And this goes back to your idea of, you know, our first impression of somebody. You know, we could just completely dismiss somebody like Mr. Pritchett as being a guy who's had gone from silver spoon to silver spoon and yet when we get to know him it's something rather different so talk about these kind of uh, how you use the conflicting viewpoints to uh, I think get at our sense how um, liquid our sense of what's really out there is that's really important in this novel and I think we see that uh, perhaps through a character like Uma, who from the beginning is, you know, she's she's the kind of person who always observes people. Mm-hmm. And right away, she has to form an opinion about people. So early in the novel, she looks at all these people. And first of all, she's like, 
what do all these people want? Why are they all going to India? What could they possibly have to do in India? So she's already judging that there are certain kinds of people who should go to India and others who really should stay away from India. And, and so she, I think, undergoes a great change as she hears these people's stories. But also, I think some of the conflicts um, begin to get resolved because of the stories they hear. For example, Tariq, who was very angry right from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, he he focuses his anger on Cameron, mm-hmm. um, the ex-soldier, because Cameron, having been in dangerous situations, kind of takes over the group and he takes control and he says, we must do this, we must do this, this is safe, this is unsafe. And Tariq begins to uh, rebel against that right from mm-hmm. the beginning. But after he will hear Cameron's story, something will change in him as well. And after Cameron hears his story, something in Cameron changes too. Now, uh, the one of the things, that, of course, that's really important to this book is storytelling. And, and I there's a great uh, part in the book where um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, Malathi lo- looks at the picture on Mr. Mangalam's desk. And, the, and that picture tells her a story which of course, proves to be not quite exactly what she expected. So talk about how just the sheer act of storytelling, lying, exaggerating. I mean, when we tell a story, even when we tell a true story from our true life, as it comes out through language, it's not going to be exactly what happened to us. Right. It'll be rather what we remember. And memory is very tricky. Mm -hmm. And I think... While these characters are kind of caught in the in the crucible of this basement, uh, their lives are being transformed through fear and really the terror of death. Um, their stories come out, I think, particularly strongly mm-hmm. and have the power to change both the speaker and the person who's listening because they're all aware that these might be the final stories they tell or they hear. And so it's very important for them to make sense of, the the speaker has to make sense of his life through this story, and the listener has to make sense of the world kind of through this story. Now, um, when you were writing this book, when you started back there, when you uh, carved into stone in the beginning, uh, did you know about uh, how the novel would end? No. (laughs) I rarely know how the novel is going to end. Um, I have to work through the novel and then it comes to me how it's going to end. Um, I don't I don't know. Mm. I have to discover it. Now, when, when you're writing about uh, a variety of people like this, they're kind of living in your head and clattering around. Do you, like, model them on other people that you see? Or do you, when you're, when you're not writing... What kind of lives are these characters leading in your mind? I do think about them a lot. I've recognized over the years that when I'm writing a novel, a lot of the quote-unquote writing goes on when I'm not at my computer because I'm thinking about these characters. Let's say I'm cooking or I've taken the dog for a walk, and I'll really be visualizing these characters and what they might be doing and how they would be speaking, or I'll get just a little nugget of their story, it'll come out at that point. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's really fascinating to me how 
a lot of things become clear when I'm not actually writing, but when I'm kind of absorbing the story somehow in my subconscious and processing it somehow. It's, it's really, it, it's a mysterious process to me. But one thing about this novel which was interesting is that I decided to write, or I came up with the idea of writing this novel at a pretty uh, dramatic moment in my own life when um, I was, I'm living in Houston now, as you know, and at that time, a big hurricane, Hurricane Rita, was coming through Houston. And this was just after Hurricane Katrina had devastated New Orleans, so we were being evacuated out of Houston because Rita was coming right at Houston. But when, you know, all these people are evacuated, obviously they don't go anywhere. So we were all stuck on the interstate and we were not moving at all and people were panicking. And I saw such such a spectrum of reactions to this pressure. Some people, it made them really fearful and very pugnacious. Some people became compassionate and helpful. And I began to think about different characters who would respond to a life-threatening situation. And I wanted to explore all of the different ways in which one responds. Now, you've written a lot of short story collections. And in a sense, that's what this is, uh, <laughs> with a kind of arc narrative. Could you talk about, uh, did you experience the individual character stories, in a sense, as, as short stories? Or, or talk about how your experience as a short story writer informed your experience of writing this novel. Well, the thing about this is it's similar to and different from a short story collection, mm -hmm. because yes, each story can kind of stand on its own, so that if you excerpted it and you just had it, and that's all you read, you would still get the sense of a story with its own arc and its character um, growth and development and you know the protagonist and the antagonist and its own themes. But really, uh, we need to know the backstory in order to understand the full power of the story because we need to know how these characters appeared in the beginning or even how they were thinking in order to really get the full power of the story. If we didn't see Mr. Pritchett as he was, you know, powerful and in control in the beginning of the book, then his story as a child who's, who has completely no power over his life as he's living in this trailer with the single mother wouldn't have that impact. Mm -hmm. I think we need the arc, the overall arc story in order to understand the full power of the story and in order to understand that the externals of people's lives are so different from their core. You know, each of the characters in this novel is, is a character in transition between two different worlds. And I'm guessing that this is something that you're a feeling you're familiar with. <laughs> yes, yes. And also these characters are important because um, or the moment, this moment is important in their, these characters' lives because they've all decided that they're going to go to India. They're going to go halfway across the world from America. And they've each decided this for a very different reason. So in some ways, in, in some kind of a strange inversion of the Canterbury Tales, they are also planning to go on a pilgrimage. It's really a pilgrimage to India. They feel it will transform their lives one way or another. 
And it strikes me, too, that for some of these characters, India is a familiar destination. It's a return to home, and for others, it's a departure into a completely fantastic netherworld as far as they're concerned. Right, right. And therefore, the visa office is kind of the cusp between the world they know and this world that they imagine and this world that they hope will bring them maybe redemption. Mm-hmm. I've been talking with Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni. Her new novel is One Amazing Thing. Thank you for joining me, Chitra. Thank you so much. You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>